What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, amazing love. How really can this be, Lord? Lord Jesus, that you, our God, should die for us. And here we are setting, Lord, seeing the actual details of your suffering and your death. Lord, we thank you, dearest friend, for laying down your life for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 22, Psalm 22. Again, we're going to immerse ourselves. This is going to be a full immersion baptism in Psalm 22. Let's, uh, let's, let's look at it together. Psalm 22, verse 1. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, I'm not silent, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despise of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there's none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have been set me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. So this, the first words of this psalm, in the first words of this psalm, we hear the cry from the cross with these words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? And it brings us really to a question of, what about David? 
What about David, who's, who is the prophet in this case, writing these things in Psalm 22? What about Isaiah, who wrote about Isaiah 53? Have you ever wondered? You ever wondered what and David and Isaiah were thinking about when they wrote Psalm 22, when they wrote Isaiah 53? Did they know? about what what they were writing about? Did they know that they were writing about the Lord who died for them? For example, we're gonna come to a verse here in verse 16 where it says, they pierced my hands and my feet. That never happened to David. That never happened. His, His hands and feet were never pierced. But he writes about this and other things in this song with such clear, vivid details that he had to know that he was writing about another person. And the same is true with Isaiah and Isaiah 53. So what exactly was in their minds? What were they thinking, David and Isaiah, as they wrote Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53? Well, we're told. We're told. We don't have to guess. We're told in 1 Peter 1.10. In 1 Peter 1.10, it says that they were writing about a salvation that the prophets had inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels, the angels desire to look into. So first of all, we're told that in 1 Peter 1.11, that we just read, they testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ. You know what that tells us? That tells us that David, when he wrote Psalm 22, that Isaiah, when he wrote Isaiah 53, they knew that they were writing about the sufferings of the Messiah. They knew that they were writing about the future. They were prophesying about the future sufferings of the Messiah. Second, in 1 Peter 1.10, when it says that the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, it tells us that both David and Isaiah were stirred up. They were stirred up to know what they were writing about. They asked God what they were writing about. They searched diligently to know what they were writing about. David wanted to know what he was writing about in Psalm 22. Isaiah wanted to know what he was writing about when he wrote Isaiah 53. Both David and Isaiah wished that they could be in here tonight and and they could be comparing the New Testament with what they wrote. And then third, from 1 Peter 1.11, 1 Peter 1.11, when it says, searching what or what manner of time, this tells us that both David and Isaiah were not only searching for how, the Messiah was going to suffer these things. They, they didn't know there was going to be a cross because they only had certain de- details, but they wanted to know when. There was very, they were all stirred up to know when this was going to happen, when he was going to suffer these things. They didn't know, they didn't know when the Messiah was going to die for our sins, but they sure wanted to know. They didn't know it was going to be hundreds of years later that it was going to happen, but they didn't know, is it coming next year? Is it coming in the next 10 years? Is it going to be in their lifetime? And they tried to find out. And they were asking God about that, when it was going to happen. And fourth, when it says in in 1 Peter 1.11, 1 Peter 1.11, the spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ. This tells us that they were very aware that the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Messiah, was in them. 
That's such a wonderful title for the Holy Spirit. We need that title today. The first Peter 1.11 title. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And we need the title for the Holy Spirit in Galatians 4.6, where the Holy Spirit is, is given the title, the Spirit of His Son. Why? Because there's been so, there is, and there has been so much abuse over the person of the Holy Spirit. We hear of spirit-filled churches, and we see people in uncontrolled frenzies of jumping up and down and rolling on the floor and speaking uncontrollably and gibberish, and we're told, that's the Holy Ghost. That's a, it's a ghost, all right. I don't know which one ghost it is. But, but to find out, is that really the Holy Spirit? We fall back to find out when all these things take place, is that really the Holy Spirit? We fall back on these names of 1 Peter 1.11. He is the Spirit of Christ, of Galatians 4.6. He is the Spirit of his Son. And then we ask the question, was the Lord Jesus ever seen doing these things? Was the Lord Jesus ever seen rolling on the floor in involuntary convulsions and speaking gibberish? and, and, And then the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of his Son, we understand he would not act that way or cause others to act that way other than how we saw the Lord Jesus acting in the Gospels, and we've never seen Christ jumping up and down and doing, doing, falling down and so forth. But coming back to the point here, which was from 1 Peter 1.11, the Spirit of Christ which was in them. So both David and Isaiah were very aware that they had the Spirit of Christ living in them, just like we have. There's no difference. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know you not? that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. They knew they were the temple of God. They knew. They knew that. They they knew that they had the Spirit of God dwelling in them. They knew the Spirit of Christ was testifying them of the sufferings of Christ. And then it says in 1 Peter 1.12, 1 Peter 1.12, it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto us. This statement tells us that both David, when he wrote Psalm 22, Isaiah, when he wrote Isaiah 53, they knew they were not writing for their own benefit. They were writing for us. God revealed that to David and Isaiah, that they were writing their prophecies about the suffering of the Messiah for our benefit. They knew that. They knew that they were going to help generations to come about in writing these details. When you meet them, you tell them thank you for writing all that for us. And sixth, in 1 Peter 1.12, 1 Peter 1.12, it says, which things the angels desire to look into. That statement tells us that there was a me too aspect of what they were writing. In other words, as David and Isaiah were writing these things, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, the angels weren't passively sitting by, but they were looking and observing this whole process of the Spirit of Christ inside of them, causing them to write in advance of the sufferings, and the angels were were seeing all this, and they were asking God for more information, more information. They also wanted to know when this was going to happen, so the angels chime in, me too, me too, I want to know more details about the sufferings of the Messiah. And the reason the angels joined in with David wanting to know more about the sufferings is because of this arresting cry that starts off this whole psalm when it says, when when this cry of, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because from that cry, it's very clear that the Lord Jesus is standing before the judgment seat of God. He's standing before the bema. The Lord Jesus is standing in the court of God, and God is judging him. And as the Lord Jesus is standing there and being accused, he cries out, my God, my God, why? And with that one word, why, with that one word, why, we can see that the Lord Jesus is very conscious of the fact that he's innocent. 
He's innocent, so he cries out, why? He's very conscious that he's lived a sinless life, like it says in Hebrews 7.26, Hebrews 7.26, where it says, such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. He cries out, why? Because he was aware that he was holy, harmless, and undefiled and separate from sinners. So he cries, why? In Hebrews 4.15, Hebrews 4.15, it speaks about, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He cries out, why? Because he's aware that he was without sin, so he cries out, why? So Hebrews 9.14, Hebrews 9.14 says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So he cries out, why? Because he's aware that he's without spot to God. And he says, why? And in Isaiah 53.9, Isaiah 53.9, where it says he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he, he had done no violence, neither was there deceit in his mouth. He's aware. He knows. I've done no violence. I've never said anything that's deceitful. He cries, Why? And when he is crucified, the thief next to him looks at him and says in Luke 23, 41, Luke 23, 41, he looks at him and he says, we indeed justly suffer for we have the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. And he knows that as he's standing in verse one crying out, why? Because he's aware that all through his life he's never done anything wrong. The centurion watches him die in Luke 23, 47. Luke 23, 47. And the centurion looks at him and says, certainly this was a righteous man. And he knows that. He's aware of that. And he knows that he's a righteous man. And so he cries, why? And the Lord said it in John 8, 29. John 8, 29. He that sent me is with me, and the Father hath not left me alone. For I do always those things that, that please him. He's aware that he pleased the Father all through his life. He cries out, why? He said there that the Father never left him alone, but he's leaving him alone now, and he cries out, why? In 2 Corinthians 5.21, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it speaks about he who knew no sin was, was made sin for us. He's aware. He's aware that he, he has no knowledge of sin. He doesn't know what that feeling is of, uh, of doing something wrong and the flood of guilt and shame comes over and the feeling of defilement. He, he's totally unaware of that. He doesn't know that because he knew no sin. And so in verse one, he cries out, why? Because he never experiences, why? It says about him in 1 John 3, 5, 1 John 3, 5, you know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him is no sin. He's aware of that that there's no sin in him. So he cries out in verse one, why? He knew all this about himself. When he cries out in verse one, why? And with that one word, why? He's crying out. What he's saying is, remember he looked at his enemies? He looked at his enemies in, in John eight forty six. in John eight forty six, and he says, which one of you convinceth me of sin? Which one of you convinces me of sin? We can imagine him scanning with his eyes all of his enemies there and saying, which one? Which one of you and which sin are you there? With that one question, he's asking his enemies, bring on the charge. What is the charge against me? What is the charge? And so now he's crying, why? He's crying, why to God? Because he's saying, what new charge is being brought against me? 
What is it? So now he's suffering. He cries out to God with that cry. He's asking God what he asked his enemies. What is my charge? What am I guilty of? Why have I been forsaken? Why is God so far from me? Why are my prayers not being heard? So, but this is a cry of suffering that's different from the cries of suffering in the Bible because the cries of suffering in the Bible are like Psalm 38.3. Psalm 38.3, where David speaking of himself, says, there's no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. Because of my sin. Neither is there any rest in my bone because of our, my sin. Very important four words, because of my sin. This is typically the cry from suffering. Typically the cry from suffering always has these four words, because of my sin. How many calamities have we had in our life or do we have in our lives that is because of our sin? Shouldn't say always, but most typically. And this is an example here. It's a Psalm 38.3. Neither is there any rest of my bones. Because of my sin, the Lord spoke of his bones. He said, all my bones were out of joint. In verse 14, but the Lord did not say, all my, my bones are out of joint because of my sin. Because he didn't have any sin. And that's the reason why he cries, why? If I had no sin, then Why? The Lord cries out, why? That's a great question. Why would a person who's never done one little sin suffer like that? Why? And the answer comes. The answer comes from a Hebrew word, a common Hebrew word that's used over 500 times in the Bible. And most notably, this word is used when Abraham's knife was about to be plunged into Isaac, right into Isaac's chest. And God stopped Abraham in Genesis 22, Genesis 22, 12. And Genesis 22, 12, he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Abraham sees the ram, he takes Isaac off the altar, and instead of plunging the knife into Isaac's chest, the ram goes on the altar and he plunges the knife into the ram. And just as the ram took Isaac's place under the knife, so the Lord Jesus has taken the sinner's place under the knife. And the Lord Jesus is in the stead of sacrifice. And what was done here is all tied up in this word, in the stead of. A very common word, takat, 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 which is translated in the stead of. But it means under. It means under. So if you looked at the knife in Abraham's hand, then the meaning of takat or under becomes clear. Isaac was takat or under Abraham's knife. It was about to be plunged into him. And that is symbolic of Isaac being under the judgment of God for his sins. That's symbolic of you. That's symbolic of me being under the judgment of God for our sins. And the knife of God is raised over man. It's ready to be plunged in. But instead, but instead it's going to be plunged into man because of man's sin. But then the ram is seen. And so Abraham lifts Isaac out from Tachat, out from under his knife, and puts the ram, Tachat, under Abraham's knife. And this is the answer in verse 1 to the question, why? 
Why? Because of tachat. Tachat is the answer to why. Why? Tachat. Why was the Lord put to the suffering? Because like Isaac, we were lifted from being in the position of tachat under the knife, under the judgment knife, like the ram, and the ram was put on there and, and under the judgment knife, and the Lord took our place, tachat, under the judgment of God. That's the answer to the question of verse 1. Why? For no sins of his own, but for our sins, God the Father took us off the altar and put the Lord Jesus on the altar in our place. And that's the answer to the question. Why? Because of a word used in the Bible called imputed. Imputed. Now, we're familiar with imputed when we read Romans 4.20, Romans 4.20, which says about Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able to perform. Therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God, and God imputed to Abraham righteousness. That's true for every believer when he believes God, he confesses his sin, he turns from his sin, he receives the Lord Jesus as his Savior, God imputes to him the righteousness of Christ. And we love to think about that, how God imputes to us the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. God imputes to us the righteousness of the Lord Jesus, but have you ever thought of what was imputed to the Lord Jesus? What was imputed to the Lord Jesus was our guilt, our guilt, our shame, our sin, his righteousness imputed to us, our guilt imputed to him. And when our guilt was imputed to him, in verse 1, he cries out, why? For no sins of his own, but for his own sins. He was forsaken by God. And, and why did God impute our guilt and sins on the Lord Jesus? Because of Romans 8.31. Romans 8.31, God before us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him us for, up for us all. So our sins, our guilt, that's imputed on God the Son because God is for us. Kind of works like this. God the Father could not spare his Son and save the sinner. Couldn't. If God the Father had spared the Son, then God could not save the sinner. So God was faced with this grave decision. This was a real tension for God the Father. What's he going to do? Spare his Son? and not save the sinner, or spare not his son and save the sinner. One's got to die. One must die. One or the other must die. And God chose this option to spare not his son so that he could save us sinners. This is just a little personal. It's a little personal because we're the sinner. We're the sinner that's involved in God's decision. So, so let's just make that really clear that God the Father was faced with the decision, spare his son and let you and I die in hell, be cast into hell, or, or, or save you and I and let God the Son die. And can't you just see God the Father? He's laboring, he's agonizing over this decision. Should I spare my son and let the sinner die? Or, or should I save the sinner and let my son die? And when God chose this option for his son to die and the sinner, us, to be saved, there was such a cry from heaven that rang out, that rang out. John 3, 16, for God so loved, he made the decision, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. 
And when that came time, it came time for God to actually follow through and spare not, spare not, then his son cries out in verse one, why, why, why did God forsake his son on the cross so that he might not forsake us? Why did God forsake his son on the cross? It was so that Jesus of Nazareth would be totally alone. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.